Federal Drive is presented by GEHA, Government Employees Health Association, proudly providing health and dental benefits to federal employees and their families. Visit GEHA.com. The Veterans Health Administration is looking to grow its human resources staff so they can keep up with hiring everybody else. To encourage would-be new hires to HR and keeping current HR people on the job, VHA is giving its HR workforce a nearly 15% pay raise. They're the latest, but not necessarily the last, of VA's new pay flexibilities. Federal News Network's Jory Heckman has more. And that sounds like pretty good news if you're in HR, 15% pay hike. Who is exactly eligible here, Jory? Yeah, it is good news indeed. It specifically goes to HR specialists and HR assistants in grades GS4 through GS15. And this is specifically folks in the Veterans Health Administration, not VA more broadly. Although we should point out that is the vast majority of the HR folks in the entire department. Uh, rough headcount here. This is about 8,000 HR employees Whoa. who are eligible to receive this SSR. There's 8,000 people in VHA HR, huh? Well, it is the largest integrated healthcare network in the country. It's an easy thing to forget, but this is a nationwide uh, effort, and they've really got to make sure that they have the staff they need in every one of those VA medical centers across the country. And agencies just don't kind of invoke this largesse out of nothing, then. What is the uh, stimulus to them giving this 15% raise now? Yeah, well, VHA, uh, just because of the needs that we just addressed, uh, they really need to bring in the hiring of the hirers, as they've put it in a couple of times now. Uh, just to give you a sense of the vacancy rate for HR personnel uh at VHA, they saw about a 20% vacancy rate in 2022. And to make up the difference, they've worked out that they need to hire about a thousand HR professionals each year for the coming years, uh, you know, considering things like attrition and retirement and things of that nature. And, you know, they've done some things to keep that pipeline of people coming in. They have some programs where they take new graduates and they uh, train them up to be HR professionals at VHA. That's it's their HR star program. Um, but, you know, they need to find other ways to bring people in as well, because as VHA has explained to me, it takes about three years to fully understand everything about HR in VHA because it is one of the most complicated jobs in all of federal HR. They need to understand three separate pay systems, Title V employees, so the non-medical folks, Title 38, the medical folks, and then to further complicate things, a hybrid of the two. Right. And sometimes there's term employees and people that come in for a special assignment and come and go. So, yeah, it takes 8,000 people to keep all those hundreds of systems going and hundreds of hospitals going, I should say, with the right people. And VHA and VA have used this SSR, this special salary rate for people beyond HR already, haven't they? Yeah, the VA's first guinea pig of this special salary rate was its uh, Office of Information and Technology, uh, the IT and cybersecurity employees that keep the computers running and the systems running across VA. Uh, last summer, they got about a 17% average pay raise uh, on top of their uh, base pay. And what this has allowed VA OIT to do is they've been able to make a thousand new hires last year, and uh, it's really moved the needle on retention as well. They saw about a 10% reduction in retention, so it's not just bringing people on board, but they actually like the job and they stay on for years at a time. Uh, it's also moved the needle on overall employee satisfaction. That IT shop at VA, they are now uh, top of their class at a 
uh, survey that's measured by the Office of Management and Budget and GSA. So for all large agencies with 100,000 employees or more, VA OIT is the top scorer there. All right. Sounds good. And so uh, what about other agencies besides VA? Is this a government-wide thing or pretty much confined to VA at this point? So last year, there was a really long saga of other agencies contemplating this SSR for IT and cybersecurity employees. Uh, It has not yet crossed the finish line at any other agency. It has not yet crossed the finish line at any other agency. So VA is alone using this SSR, and they're doing that through the PACT Act. It's the legislation that expands VA eligibility to veterans who were exposed to toxic substances during their military service. And it's bringing in a lot more veterans to VA, but it's also giving the VA tools like the SSR to incentivize uh, new hires now in IT and at VHAHR. All right. So that's two big groups, and they're going to test this out over the next year. Sounds like they might have plans to schmear it around even to other occupations. Yeah. Well, we heard from VA Press Secretary Terrence Hayes on this. He says that VHA intends to submit further SSR requests for additional Title V occupations, and that broader implementation will be considered throughout this fiscal year. This is something that just also has the attention of VA Secretary Dennis McDonough. He has told the press time and again that these are the kinds of incentives that VA needs to get the best and the brightest, and that they are really on a major hiring kick and to have the HR professionals needed to oversee that kind of hiring. Federal News Network's Jory Heckman, thanks so much. Thanks, Tom. And be sure to check out his story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. As the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency's Chief People Officer, Elizabeth Comstetter sees a focus on people as absolutely crucial to her leadership style. Comstetter joined Shane Canfield, WEPA CEO, to reflect on her years of experience leading in the federal human capital space. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Elizabeth Comstetter, Chief People Officer at the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. Elizabeth, welcome. Thank you. Great to be here. In your current position at CISA, one of your responsibilities is ensuring a people-first culture. Explain what that is, and, and what's the role of leadership in creating and shaping that culture? Yes, at CISA, really paramount to our culture is a people-first driven aspect, so that we are really looking at how do we accomplish our mission through our people. And in order to do that, we really value our people. We want them to feel empowered and supported and uh, respected, and also that their managers care about them. So well-being is important. Psychological safety in the workplace is important so that all voices and ideas are heard. So I like to call it our North Star. Having a people-first culture really starts with the people in order to get our incredibly difficult mission accomplished. In terms of leadership, which is a great question, I think we all know that culture is really driven by leadership and the the behaviors that we allow and we, uh, you know, uh, reinforce in our leaders. So we really work at making sure that our leaders are bringing out the best in their people every day. So again, that they feel they can bring their voice, especially an opinion that might not go along with the majority of a group, 
so that we get that diverse perspective, we get those different ideas and experiences. And that's really where we find that it's important that leaders are purposefully bringing out their talent on their teams to enable our mission. Excellent. We're, we're going through a, a culture project at our work. Oh, great. Yeah, it's, um, it's been six months in the making, and it's going really well, but it is work. Yes. And it requires from the top down, so I'm, I'm also involved in that. I hear you. Great. Throughout your career, you've piloted many different talent management programs, including at NASA, the CIA, the FBI, just to name a few, and you have an amazing career. What have you learned or how have you might have changed along the way in creating and leading those programs? Yes, and I, I, I am so honored to have had a career in public service across multiple federal agencies, always in the realm of human resources and workforce performance. And I think because I study organizations and people in them, I've come to realize, particularly in the federal government, that many of our programs are really grounded in the industrial era thinking that this is organizationally structured in a hierarchy with boxes and lines on charts, uh, with the center being around jobs and what do we need to get this job done in terms of skills and training. And what I found is that we're really not in the industrial era anymore where we would promote the smartest people who knew that work and they would then tell the people on their team how to do things and oversee that work. We're now in a digital era and the information era where work gets done collaboratively across geographic boundaries and certainly across org charts. So uh, we like to call it networks um, or hierarchies. And we really need to, again, unleash people so they can find those other people who are working on similar problems or have the right ideas. And so I really like to think of our work now in the talent programs being human-centered. It's more about the user and the experience than about the rules and regulations. So although we have to have rules and regulations, certainly in human resources, is that person experiencing what they need and getting what they need for their role at that time? So not so much on the job, but on the person. So for example, we're recruiting. What's the applicant experiencing? Because if they're not having a good experience with our organization from the time we're recruiting them, they're going to go work for somebody else. Same thing with like first-time supervisors. We know they need certain training, but telling them to sit in a class for one week and then hope a year from now they'll remember what they learned to apply, that's not really human-centered. The human-centered is what do they need when they need it and building modules or, or just-in-time training and bringing that to the people, to that user as they need it. So that's really, I think, the most important focus of talent programs today in this era to enable the workers to be the best they can be in their, in their roles. Excellent. New thinking. Um, this is always an interesting question. Has there been a time when, as a leader, that you've made a mistake? And what is that? And um, I think most important, what did you take away from that? What did you learn from that? Well, I kind of chuckle because I think as leaders, we have to learn to recognize our mistakes, admit our mistakes, and that they are opportunities to learn. And so uh, I've had to do my own self-reflection on, on making mistakes and when things don't turn out the way that I expected them to. Um, makes me think of a time when I was at the Transportation Security Administration and I was a supervisor. And I was 
really embroiled with my program. I was the technical leader of it. I understood it. I'd run it for years. And I was making a briefing for a decision that had to be made about this program that was very near and dear to me. And I presented the briefing uh, to one of the very senior people in the agency. And I think there are about 20 people in the room. And I had gone through the briefing, answered all the questions, and that leader then said, okay, I'm going to go around the room and get everybody's opinion, and then everybody gets to vote, which kind of set me aback because there were people in that room that didn't have any technical knowledge about my program. She even turned to the executive assistant there, taking notes on the meeting, and said, go ahead, and I want to hear from you. And I realized, in hindsight, I had stopped listening. I had been in transmitting all of my knowledge and what I saw to be the right way, and I was not listening to different perspectives in the room because I didn't think that, I didn't value that they were bringing any kind of input to this particular decision. And it didn't go as I had hoped, and I left very disappointed and was busy blaming the senior leader and how that meeting was conducted, that she let all these people have opinions when they didn't know, in my mind, didn't know what they were talking about. And so um, in reflection on that, I realize, and now as I've moved into more senior leadership positions, I realize that was a mistake, that it actually is really important to listen, especially to people who have different perspectives or at a different point in the career, not just the people who know the program or the technical really well. And so that was a mistake I made, and I realized in my own sense I wasn't listening to very different opinions, and I probably should have because I would have learned more about what was needed for this program going forward than just leaving, getting getting upset that it didn't go a certain way. So I've really practiced active listening. I've practiced making sure there's very different people on um, teams and certainly on committees or councils that we need early careers, people new to the agency, Mm -hmm. people who haven't walked in the shoes of the technical workforce because they're asking questions we need to hear for these programs to be successful. Excellent. Your career in talent management means your work is very closely tied to people. And even your title, chief people officer, what does that mean to you to be a leader in the federal system with that focus? Isn't that a great title? I just love the title Chief People Officer, and I think it's my dream job, really, to be focused on people and culture and the workforce strategy for the whole agency. And I'm just so excited to be at CISA at this point in time. We're only four years young as an agency, so we're really still creating who we're going to become as an agency and what is our culture and what kind of people and talent do we need to be sure we have to be successful. So it's very exciting for me to be in this role with a intentional focus on culture because it's one of those things, if you leave it to chance and you kind of hope it goes the way you want it to, it probably won't. So by building programs, including leadership development programs, including um, any kind of training and learning and career growth, and um, engagement programs and listening programs. That's what's really key for, I think, for our agency and particularly me in this role. Um, I think in the federal government, we got used to doing annual survey, the Federal Employee Viewpoint Survey that OPM, Office of Personnel Management, runs every year. So we would do a survey and we'd read it and we'd say, oh, this is the opinion of our people. And then we would do action plans and then we'd roll out 
certain activities that we would hope would, in, would increase engagement. In this era, you can't do once a year and understand what your employees' experiences are, what they need, what's working well, and what needs to improve. We need active, ongoing listening programs. So one of the things we're doing at CISA is having more pulse surveys, having more focus groups and what we call sensing sessions, expecting our leaders to have office hours where anybody can come and just talk about what's going well, what do they need, how, how are things going? Um, because I, we feel like it is an ongoing need to hear from our people. And I think in this role and over the years of serving, I've also realized there's never a one-size-fits-all. You know, we think certain people need certain things at certain times in their career. There's no one-size-fits-all. Neither can we also customize everything to every individual. So there's got to be a sweet spot in building really great talent programs, but also, like I said, thinking about can we do this in modules? Can we make it a menu? Can we do it just in time as people need it so they can practice the new skill or knowledge in their role? So I think we have such great opportunity, again, with the technology that enables us to really um, focus on how we connect people with their work and their team to get things done in, in very new ways. This is always an interesting question. Is there a figure, either from your personal life, your past, somewhere in history generally, that inspired you, your leadership style, um, how you view leadership? There are many figures who have been very inspirational to me, but there is one that sticks out, and that's my mother, Paula Brownlee, who has been a very inspiring leader to me all my life. And I think because first and foremost, she had a strong family and a strong career. And that's something I always wanted. And I saw her first as my mother, but then I also saw her as a leader in her career and in academia, which was her chosen field. But I always knew her family came first. And as I saw how she balanced different family needs with also a, a growing and more and more prominent um, career positions in leadership, that she had to balance that. And I think I learned from her that you can have both. You have to, you have to focus on different things through your career um, and through your life, but that you don't have to trade one for the other. Um, I've been married, happily married, for 32 years, and I'm a mother of twins who are almost 24 years old. So, And I've had a great career in public service. So I think that having her as a role model has really helped me um, find my own courage, find my own confidence, and find my own voice in how I can prioritize the things that are most important to me so that I can actually balance both family and career. And you're doing it well. You're, Thank you. Uh, having known you now for seven or eight years, yeah. um, and work alongside you. Uh, your passion is infectious. Thank you. Your uh, intelligence and, and the thoughtfulness with which you approach uh, all of these issues. It's, uh, it's an honor for you to be here, and thank you for your time. Thank you very much. I'm Shane Canfield, CEO at WEPA, and until next time, have a great day. Find the full podcast and future episodes of Lessons in Leadership on the Federal News Network app and anywhere you enjoy your podcasts.